Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. And, and uh, yeah, last week, I really began to share a message about the memorial stones and how, how Memorial Day and Pentecost came together and how, how God wants us to remember the work of the cross. And, and uh, if you didn't get an opportunity to listen to that message, please go back and, and uh, listen to that. It's on every one of our platforms, YouTube, Facebook, and also you can find it at calvary.online. And uh, it's really spurred me on because God is moving us as a people into some new areas. He's calling people to step out in their faith and really to become effective as believers in Christ. And symbolically in the scripture, there are many, many different books that you can look out and see when the people of God did that, but none of them more significant than when the children of Israel actually begin to take a hold of the promised land. And so we're going to spend some time this summer uh, uh, going on a journey with Joshua, going through the book of Joshua, because I believe that as we as a church are stepping into expansion and uh, in the days ahead, you're going to see, you know, you're going to see walls knocked down and construction going on here. And in the days ahead, even, even more so in the future, you're going to hear, you know, and, and see down here on 486, the clearing of land and ultimately the building of a, a church and a school and all of that is coming. I want us to be a people who make sure that our our priorities are right, that we're keeping in step with the Spirit of God. And so we're going to take this journey with the children of Israel as they begin to step into the promised land, as they begin to step into their destiny. And I believe we're going to find some wisdom there. Today, I have one of the creepiest titles possible. And you'll understand why in just a moment. So this whole series is called Promised Land Living. But today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to share with you a message called Make Sharp Knives. Make Sharp Knives. You'll understand that title in just a moment. Joshua chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 1. I'm reading from the NIV uh, today. And it says this, Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan, all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over it. Their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. How many know this is a good day? When all of your enemies now are so intimidated, they're not coming after you. Man, that would be like party time, right? This is glorious. Not only have we come into the promised land, but man, our enemies are totally in fear over what God is doing. Now, you would think that immediately they would break into celebration. That is not what we find here at all. Now listen, verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now, this is why he did so. Now listen carefully to this. All those who came out of Egypt, all the military uh, aged men, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving uh, Egypt. All the people that came out 
have been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained uh, where they were in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I've rolled away the approach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Now, the very... Uh, a beautiful story and a lot of insight here. Um, uh, now, when I, when I read the Bible, I, I, I kind of like read it in HD. So sometimes when I, when I, when I read these things, I just kind of... My, my first thought in reading this passage is, I kind of wondered what the water cooler talk was like the day they crossed over. They crossed over and imagine they're, they're talking there. And they were like, dude, that was awesome! The whole Jordan dried up. Can you believe it? I mean, it's something to watch the priests walk on dry. But I walked on dry land. I walked, we had heard stories, but I walked on dry land. And all of us, three million of us, walked through on dry land. And whoo, aren't you glad that wilderness is behind us? Look over here. Look, look, look. The mountains, the valleys, the green pastures. Look! Isn't it amazing? Hey, I heard our enemies. They don't even want to fight. They're just ready to surrender. Isn't that awesome? I wonder what kind of party is coming now. You see the 12 stones here? We got the 12 stones. Look, look! This, we're, we're never going to forget if you guys don't know what the 12 stones are, go back and listen to last week's message. <laughs> Look at the 12 stones! But suddenly, one of them must have noticed a peculiar sound. <laughs> Amen. You see that new leader over there? Joshua? You see him? What's he doing? Well, it looks like he's making a whole bunch of knives. I think he's looking at you. <laughs> no, he's definitely looking at you. 
bro, you know, we, we grew up in the wilderness, but you ever see Moses do this? Mm-mm. Not one time. I heard about that time he lost his mind on the rock. It split. That's why he's not here. Never with the knives. He's creeping me out right now. I mean, this is the moment they think they're going to celebrate. And their leader is making sharp knives. They finally entered in to the promised land. And they hear the scraping of flint against stone. Honing an edge. Aimed at a people born in the wilderness. I just want to let all of you know who have read this passage. For those who thought that you were just going to get born again. And you were going to float into your destiny. You can find books that will coach you into some kind of, uh, of a morphed gospel that that is connected to. But I'm just here to tell you, that is not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity and you laying hold of your destiny isn't just about God drying up your Jordan and you easing through life. Let me tell you about what this new covenant life, this kingdom life, this, this promised land living. And remember, the promised land, I need to remind everybody this. Maybe you've been in church for a while. Uh, if you're a little bit older generation, you maybe sang hymns about the promised land, comparing it to heaven. I'm just letting you know, biblically, that's not correct. The promised land is not like heaven at all. Promised land is not like heaven. Why? Because heaven has no giants. There are no battles to fight in heaven. All victory, all, every, every enemy is totally defeated when we will be in the presence of the Lord. And one day, we're going to be there. But until then, we live in the land of promise, full of giants. The land of promise is actually the new covenant life filled with God's spirit living in his purpose no matter what we face. Now, I know that the children of Israel must have thought to themselves, we are going to begin this possession with a party. We're possessing the promised land with a party, right? No. Let me tell you what promised land living begins with. It begins, listen church, don't shout me down, with a severing. The first thing that they encounter is circumcision. Kids, don't Google it. This is not one of those things. Let me just let you know that this is a minor 
medical procedure, usually performed on babies, males, male babies. That's enough for some of you. <laughs> the more I say the word circumcision, all of the men in here are just like not comfortable with this sermon, right? Okay. Notice, promised land living begins with a severing. Joshua 5.2, at the time, when all the enemies are scared to death, says, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Why circumcision? Why? Here's why. God, years ago, years before this moment, made a covenant with one man, Abraham. I want you to see this. We're going someplace with this. Genesis 17, 8. It says, the whole land of Canaan, which is where the children of Israel have just come into, where you now reside, Abraham, as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you. Listen to these words. And I will be their God. I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you, that you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Notice that. It will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Let me begin this by saying that promised land living is because God makes a covenant with us. We had nothing to offer God. We have nothing to offer God. So God in his mercy comes down and makes a covenant in his own blood so that you and I could be restored back into relationship with him. But let me let you understand what that covenant really looks like even today. God's covenant was a personal severing of everything that is unnecessary. The sign that you are in covenant with God is that he has cut out everything that is unnecessary. Let me give you New Testament language for this. Remember John 15 where Jesus uh, says these beautiful words. He says, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. You need to highlight that word, so that it will be even more fruitful. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You know, at first glance, verse 3 looks like it's totally disconnected from verse 2, but it is not. The word prunes actually means cleans. In the Greek, that's what this means. He says, he says, the ones who are bearing fruit, he cleans. And then he tells us how he prunes us, how he cleans us. Those who have stepped in by his grace, 
He says this, you are already clean because you have allowed my teachings and my words to clean you. He wasn't saying there are no people in covenant with him who don't need cleaning. Let me say it to you this way. Church, in this hour, as we are stepping into this promised land, as we are stepping into the ministries that God has for us, the, the, the reach that God has for us, the power that he is manifesting, we have to allow the word of God to have its full effect on us. We cannot read things in this word and throw them to the side as if they don't matter. If you have a theology that lets you exclude yourself from the application of this word, you need to abandon that theology. You have to abandon it. We have to allow the words of Jesus to clean us, to cut us, to sever what is unnecessary. Listen, we are filled with unnecessary things. Our culture is filled with the unnecessary. And the, 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 the point about the unnecessary is this. Not all things that are unnecessary are sinful. Let me give you how, how the word describes it in Hebrews chapter 2. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us, listen to these words, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, listen this is so good. If you have something in your life right now that is unnecessary, here's how the, descript, the, the, the scriptures describe it today. It's a weight. You're in a race, and the last thing that you want is a weight. You don't need something that's weighing you down. You don't need something in your life that is slowing you in, your, in, in God's purposes for your life. I want to tell you today, church of the living God, I'm, I'm so glad that many of you are mature enough that, that you let God do a work in the area of sin, but many of us have not let God do a work in the area of the unnecessary. He said this, listen, and this is so good. When you come into covenant relationship with God, when you start to step into promised land living, if you want to deal with the weight, all you have to do because of grace is lay it aside. There's a grace to help you lay it aside. Come on, teenagers and 20-somethings. There's a grace to put your phone down. Oh, bless God, I saw, I saw the anxiety level. We'll cast that devil out. I saw it in your eyes. I saw it in your eyes. You're like, what would I do? What would I do? Create, think, relate. There's all kinds of things that you could do. It is the weights. It's the unnecessary 
I'm here to tell you, when you enter into the promised land and you really begin to get born again, do not think everything is just going to go well. You're like, oh man, now I'm saved. My life is going to be full. Yes, and I hear the scraping of sharp knives because God is saying, listen, you came in carrying some stuff that's going to slow you down in your pursuit of his purposes. And so what is God's plan? Make a sharp knife. And you know what that sharp knife is? It's his word. That word is a double-edged sword. And that word will clean you if you let it. If we don't excuse it. And then, then, I love this, not only can you lay aside the weight, but you can actually lay aside the sin. What? What? No, you don't understand. Man, when sin comes, I'm like, mm, mm, mm. I'm just going to let all of you know, any of you who attack sin head on, you lose. You lose that fight. You know what you need to do with your sin? Lay it aside and look. Lay it aside and look. Lay it aside. Start to run your race and begin to look unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Listen, don't tell me. I know you've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. You've been addicted and you've been talking this way. And some, I, I heard a woman, she, man, this woman, she worked for me years ago. And, and listen, she, if she was breathing, she was cussing. I'm like, what is wrong with you? This is a professional atmosphere. What is wrong with you? Not at, no, it wasn't at church. It was years before church. Okay. So it wasn't somebody working on staff. Jeez. I thought I needed to qualify that one. Years ago, when I was in business, years ago, this woman was up and she says, you don't understand. I grew up on a farm and that's just the way we talk. It's just farm talk. I said, no, it's not farm talk. And I want to tell you, that's what we do when it comes to sin. That's what, it, that's what we do when it comes to flesh. That's what we do when it comes to addiction. We try to qualify. We try to quantify. We try to give reasons. We try to give all of this. And yet God says in Romans chapter 12, lay it aside and look to Jesus. Romans 6 tells me this. You don't have to stay bound to that sin cycle not one more moment. You don't have to stay bound. You don't have to stay ensnared. You don't have to stay damaged. Here's the good news. You can lay it aside today because Romans 6 says you are no longer slaves to sin if you're in Christ because of the grace of God. You're no longer a slave to sin. If you're born again, if you've walked through on that dry ground, through the Jordan, pushed back by the work of Jesus, you're entered in, but you can't, listen, church, you can't stay the same. Not where we're going. What we tolerated in the wilderness will not work in the promised land. The weights that you carried in the wilderness will not be carried in the land of promise. Why? Because God says, no, no, no. I'm not going to let that thing stand in the way of my love manifesting in your life. I'm not going to let that sin. By the way, 
You've you got to get this in your spirit. It says sin so easily ensnares. Church, do we still have the opinion in the last hour that sin is damaging? I know that comes as a shock. Because most people think the goal of church is just to get people to heaven. I think that the goal of the church on earth is to explain all that heaven offers while we're here. While we say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the trial run. This is the glimpse of his glory. This is the, the far reaches of his grace. This is what he... And the way that we manifest that fully is to let him cut on us by his word. We cut away the unnecessary and the sin that damages us. Listen, sin is not just, oh, I just made a mistake. No. It's damaging. It'll keep you from God's promises. It's a damaging snare. But by the grace of God, we can lay them aside and run into God's given assignment while we're keeping our eyes on Jesus. i got to give you this. So the promised land living, it begins, with, it begins with this severing. But you also need to see that promised land living, it bears a seal. And these happen simultaneously. There's a severing and a seal. And this is what I want you to see. Joshua 5 eight, it says, after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where, where they were in camp until they were healed. First of all, let me say this. It says, and when the whole nation was circumcised, I'm going to give you a truth that's going to set you free. Sometimes our rugged American individualism rob us of a truth that a people who are unified held. Here's what I mean. This says, the whole, the whole nation was circumcised. How many of you know, factually, that is incorrect? You know why? We'll just say, half of them are women. Not participating in this minor surgery. Factually. And yet here, the way they describe it was the whole nation. Oh, I'm going to give this to you. When you get in community with other brothers and sisters and somebody gets a breakthrough, let me tell you something, you get the breakthrough. When somebody in your community gets healed and you're still on the prescription... It's not time for you to cross your hands and say, I guess God just don't like me. <laughs> he likes them better. Why is their life so easy? No, it's time that you say, oh no, if they got it in their life, oh, I'm looking to receive it in mine. If they got a breakthrough, I'm celebrating as if I got the breakthrough, as if God has done something in me. Listen, you may be waiting, you may be, you may be weighed down. I'm here to tell you, if one person gets saved, you ought to celebrate. If one person gets set free, it ought to be, if you're in community here anyway, when somebody gets the touch
touch of God. We ought to celebrate what the Lord is doing. The whole nation's getting touched. That's what they said. But I want you to see what this was about. This seal. Romans 4.11, speaking of Abraham, it says, And he received circumcision as a sign. Notice that. He received it as a sign and a seal. Please notice these words. Everything in the Old Testament is given as an example for what we're to walk in in the New Covenant. It's a sign and a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all of us who believe but have not been circumcised in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. Here's what this means. It means this. When Abraham believed God, when Abraham believed what God said, I'm making you the father of many nations. I'm going to be your God. And I'm going to bring you into the land of milk and honey. When Abraham believed God, it was at that moment he became righteous. In the New Testament, what's Jesus, when Jesus is saying, oh, what must I do to work the works of the kingdom? He says these words, only believe. Why? Because when you believe, it is credited unto you as righteousness. When you place your faith in what Jesus did, you are righteous. But make no mistake, a seal is coming. The seal is the evidence of your right standing with God. So circumcision is this severing of what is unnecessary, but it is also a seal. That's exactly what this is talking about. Now, Romans 2, 28 describes who does the sealing. Look at this. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew. That means a, a person in covenant with God who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart. Notice these three words. By the Spirit. Not written by the code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. That person, who according to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, has their heart circumcised, that work is done by the Spirit. Now I'm going to connect the dots for you. Why in the world, after they walk into this, this land, this promised land, this place of grace, why in the world are they circumcised? Here's why. Because you're going to understand the seal. Here's the seal. The seal is the presence of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.22. It says, He set His seal of ownership upon us and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Ephesians 1.13 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So circumcision in the Old Testament was a seal, but it's pointing toward a better seal. 
when you step into this grace-filled life where you're stepping into the kingdom, not only is he saying, I'm going to cut some things away, but I'm going to set the seal of my spirit in your life. Make no mistake, church of the living God, what we need in this hour isn't greater conviction. We need a greater baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm glad you've got convictions. But are you fully converted by the work of the Spirit? Oh, it goes on. Notice how many times the seal, the word seal and the Spirit of God appear. Ephesians 4.30, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Did you know you could do that? Did you know you could grieve the Holy Spirit? By the way, this is written to believers on their way to heaven. This is not talking about sinners grieving the Holy Spirit. This is talking about believers grieving the Holy Spirit. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is powerful to understand that when God steps us into his promises for our life, there will be a severing and there will be a simultaneous seal. We need in the church of this hour to let God cut away the unnecessary and the sin. We have, we, all, it's, it's, it's so unpopular to talk the way I'm talking. That you would dare to listen to the truth of let the Holy Spirit through the word of God cut on you so that you are positioned to run your race. That is an unpopular message. Uh, no, most people are just patting people on the back and they're doing it and they're running their race and they think they're running but they are limping. They are underweight and they are under sin. And I'm here to tell you that most people trip and fall and trip and fall and trip and fall. Why? Because they have never embraced the seal that God wants to set on every new covenant believer. And that is spirit baptism. He wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He wants you to get so immersed in who he is that you would gladly abandon the unnecessary. You are certainly saying, God, this trap of sin will not work in the promised land. I can't have my feet in a trap when I'm staring down a giant. Glory to God. And God says, perfect. I'm going to cut on you by my word, if you'll allow it. I'm going to cut on you. And then I'm going to seal you with my spirit. I'm going to mark you with the spirit of God. Let's go back and look at this. Uh, uh, Joshua 5, 8. It says, after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. This verse leapt off the page. When I was, under, when I was looking at this from the, the perspective of, wow, God, if this is really the spirit-filled life, I ought to be able to see a pattern here. And I saw one. Forty years they were in the wilderness. Forty days after Jesus was, went to the cross, he walked the earth explaining the kingdom, and on the fortieth day he ascended, leaving them by themselves. 
He left them. He ascends into heaven and says, by the way, this is what he said. Don't leave camp until, until you are healed. Did you know Jesus said those words? It sounded a little different. Acts 1, 4 and 5, it says this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift uh, my father promised. That seal, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is what we need to wait on in this hour. There are so many people waiting on the next iPhone, waiting on the next car, waiting on the next job. Listen, church, if we're really going to step into the promise, we need to learn how to wait on the presence of God again. We have given up on waiting. If he doesn't come in five minutes, we're like moving on. Oh, but the people who live for God, they've learned to wait. They have learned that Isaiah 40 is true. Those who wait upon the Lord, they shall mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. They have learned something about waiting on the presence of God. And here, he says, wait in the camp until you're healed. And then Jesus says, wait right here in the camp. I've been cutting on you. I've been cutting on you with the word. Oh, but what you need is my seal. You need my seal. I'm so excited about what God is going to do in the future. I'm so excited about what he's going to do in and through our lives and, and the things that he is calling this body to do to pass on to the next generation. Incredible. So glad about it. I'm so glad that there will forever be a presence-centered school raised up for God. I'm so glad. Listen. Listen to me. Listen to me, church. So what if we have seats and we don't have the Spirit of God? So what if we have another school that just becomes a cemetery for students who dry up and are apart from God? So what? No, we have to be the generation that says, no, when we were crossing over, when God was giving his people influence by the Spirit of God, when God was doing that, we let him cut on us. We let him cut away the unnecessary. You're going to have to say yes. When God says privately to fast, I knew I shouldn't have brought that one up. <laughs> when God says privately to fast, you just push back the plate. You're not waiting on a corporate fast. You're saying, God, I want your word to cut on me. I want you to cut away what's unnecessary in my life. Lord, I don't want this sin cycle, not another day. Not when I can lay it aside. Not when I can step into the fullness. Not when I know what's coming down the road. I know this land is filled with giants, but I've got a giant God. And listen, if we don't cut, lay aside the weights and the sin... Looking, looking to Jesus, here's what we'll do. We'll carry the weights, we'll be encumbered by sin, and all we'll do is look at the giants. And here's what we don't, won't do in that moment. We will not overcome and walk in the, the promises of God for our life. Here's what I'm saying today. First, 
If you're here today and you don't have a real relationship with God, I mean a real one. By the way, that's the kind he wants. Not a religious one. A real relationship with God. I've got great news. His arms are out wide to you. He loves you. That cross has made the way. The Jordan is pushed back. And he's saying, come on through. But I also believe that God is speaking a message to his bride in this hour. There is all kinds of pressure trying to get you to conform to culture. And there is only one way that you will break the mold. And that is to allow the sharp knife of the word of God to cut away what is unnecessary. To actually say, Lord, I'm going to live in the power that you have. And to cry out for his seal on your life. To cry out for the Spirit of God on your life. It's the only way.